think we can actually see school in the tunnel now. It's starting to come, and in just a couple of weeks, kids are going to be going back to school, and uh, parents are going to be free once again for a few hours a day, you know, and getting, sending them on back. Uh, my, my kids actually said they, they, they're looking forward to going. That, that'll last about two hours, and then it'll, then it'll all change. We are in the book of Galatians, guys. Chapter 3. This is our fourth study in the book of Galatians, and today I'm, uh, I've titled this message, The State of Rightness. Rightness, not righteousness, the state of rightness. How many of you know, what's the opposite of left? What's the opposite of wrong? Not the same right, spelt, spelt the same way, but just not the same right. So you know the differences. So would you rather be in a state of wrongness or in a state of rightness? You know, and a lot of times in the Bible, the state of rightness is spoken of. And what we, what we recognize it as and what we see it as is the word righteousness. Righteousness. And I want you to kind of focus in on that word. And I want you to challenge yourself today to see righteousness in your life and be challenged to live there in that place. Our world today is focused on giving you everything that is wrong and causing you and allowing you, giving you the option to live in that place. But I'm here today to tell you this old saying, kind of an old proverb that you used to see back in the day on the church billboard signs when you drive by. They would say, you cannot live wrong and die. Come on, y'all can talk. I, I've heard, I just got through hearing you sing. I know you got a voice. Now, you can't live wrong and die right. You can't do it. So if you don't have intentions of living in a state of rightness, you will die in a state of wrongness. Now, I know that there are people that say, well, I'm just human and that's just the way I'm going to live. But that's not biblical. And that's not the way God intended for you to live your life. The Bible tells us that there is this state of righteousness rightness that he wants us to live in would you bow your head with me and pray before i get started father we do love you and we do thank you for the scriptural teachings of rightness and lord is it challenging to live there yeah it is it's challenging god the last i i checked it's it's challenging to be a good fisherman it's challenging to be a good wife it's challenging to be a good hunter it's challenging god to to be a good cook, it's, ch it's challenging to be anything in life. But God, when we want to be better at those things, we accept the challenge and we practice. And I'm asking you today that you'll open our eyes and help us to realize that we can practice Christianity in our life. And as we practice it, God, we'll get better at it. And it's not that it's under our own ability or our own uh, understandings or our own will. It's all about what you've already done for us. But help us to practice that and to find that state of rightness so we can live our lives according to your will. Help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, look at verse number 6 with me in Galatians chapter 3. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of and I'm going to say, and the daughters of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, pe preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, 
in you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of what? But that probably should read the man of works, shouldn't it? No. But that's what the Judaizers are trying to get Paul, or trying to teach the people of Galatia. This should be the man of works, because he was saved by what he did, the things that he did. But that's not what Paul's message is at all. Paul had a different idea, and this is what he began to teach these people of Galatia. Now, we've been learning here how that Paul was trying to get the Galatian people back on track because there had been some false teachers that had crept into the church and began saying some things that wasn't necessarily true. They're teaching another gospel, a false gospel. Paul has been teaching them the true gospel that came through the grace of God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul taught that there is only one way given to us by God that we can be forgiven of our sins, and that way is what? That way is what? If y'all haven't been with me this long, y'all are going to have a hard time today. What is, what, is our, what is the way that we can be forgiven by our sins? Only through Jesus Christ. That's it. And this is what Paul has been teaching them. But they're trying to give them another way. The only way that these Judaizers say, and the only way that you can become a Christian is if you become a Jew. And that is going through some processes that they have laid out, and that's how that you become a Christian. But Paul has been trying to show them different, and, and Jesus Christ showed Paul different. Jesus didn't just show it to Paul, but he showed it to Peter as well. Paul began to tell them that it is through believing in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. There's no other person, there's no other method, there's no other ritual that can get you to where Jesus Christ is or that can give you eternal life. You see, we live in a world today where we are encouraged and we are taught to be open-minded. Open-minded. Be open-minded about things. Accept some things. Pay attention to a few things. Just because you were raised up that way doesn't mean that you shouldn't pay attention to what's going on over here. So many have taken this idea and they've used it in a way to assert that all religions are equally valid and, and they are valid paths to God. And that's what this open-minded, tolerance-stricken world that we live in has begun to teach us. And we, we live in this free society, right? That means that you can choose whatever you want. You can act however you want. You can live however you want. You can practice whatever religion that you want to practice. But here's my question to you. Because you choose your way and your opinion, does that make it right? You see, because here's the idea, and this is what you have to understand. God is the one that created all this stuff. God is the one that started this whole, this whole deal that we're in here now. And you have to understand that God does not accept man-made religion. And you can, you can choose whatever you want to, and you can build it however you want to build it, and you can make it look however you want it to look. But God does not have to accept your religion. You see, the Bible tells us that God doesn't accept anything that is a substitute for your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it is all about. He has provided us one way. Jesus, uh, in John 14 and 6, Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. And no man, no woman, no child, whoever you are, you will not come to the Father except through who? Your works. No, it's Jesus, right? It's Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're going to do it. Many people have argued, well, this is, this is too narrow-minded. This cannot be right in the society that we live in that teaches that we must be open-minded and tolerant to things that are happening around us. 
So this, this one-way thing is too narrow. So why does there have to be only one way? This is what I suggest to you this morning. Pay attention. I suggest to us, rather than worrying about the fact that there's only one way, we need to be saying, thank you, God, for giving us a way that is sure, that is absolute, and that can get us to where you are. We waste so much time, so much time, Here's you an illustration. We're out in the woods and we're stuck. We're stuck, okay? Let me put it this way. You're stuck in your Chevrolet. And I'm not stuck in my Ford. Are you going to care? Are you going to care that my Ford pulls you out? You will? Somebody said yes. Yes, there you go. I want you to say that when you stand before Jesus. Say, Jesus... You know, I would rather that it would have been Brad Pitt. Okay? So you really wouldn't care if I used my Ford to pull you out or not. You see, the thing is, is that whenever you are in a situation like this, it really doesn't make any difference how it happens as long as it's sure. So why should we sit around and complain that God gave us only one way that works? Why couldn't He have given us three or four ways that work? You don't need three or four ways that work. You only need a Ford. That's all you need is a Ford. Amen, Carl. Amen. That's all you need. And Jesus is a Ford guy. It's in the Bible. No, no it's not. Don't quote me on it. Don't email me and don't text me. I don't send me letters. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they said that's because he walked everywhere he went. That's why he was a Ford guy. I'll take that, I'll take that. Guys, this is Paul here. Paul is trying to get this group of people, the Galatians, to see another way. He's trying to get them to realize that it's not all about what these other, the Judaizers are trying to get you to understand. It's not all about all this, these works and all this other stuff. This other way that the Judaizers were trying to get them to see was a, was a plan of salvation, a, a, a man-made salvation, a man-made religion that was based solely upon the works that they were able to do. And it was a plan based upon what, what they could me- mechanize, what they could figure out, rather than accepting what Jesus Christ had already done. You follow me? Remember what I told you? We ought to take all the churches today and fix them up with a brand new name and call them the Church of the Doers. Because that's the churches that, that people go to nowadays. It's the Church of the Doers. Whatever we can do, whatever we can do. But I want to be a part of the Church of the Done. Because it's already been done. Jesus Christ done it. When He said it was finished, it means that He done what was necessary and what was needed. To save you and get you to the place where you need to be. You see guys, when Jesus taught His disciples in the Scriptures, He used what we call what? Stories. What do we call them? Parables. The way that you need to remember parables, parables are comparables. Parables are comparables. They are stories that are comparable to life events. Things that are happening. So Jesus began to talk to these people with things that they understood in their day. The culture, economics, human behavior, the way the roads were, animals. It didn't make any difference. Whatever it may have been. For example, Jesus is walking down a road. He points out into a wheat field and He said the fields are white for harvest. He wasn't talking about cotton, y'all. 
We, we look at cotton and say it's white. No, but when the wheat has gone too long on the stalk, it begins to turn white. He said it's, it's past harvest time, y'all. It's t- the fields are white to harvest. We need people who can work. And that's what he was talking about when it came to the spiritual side of it, is that we have people out there who are dying and going to hell. The fields are white for harvest. We need people that will work and will start spreading the gospel. And so Paul follows this concept that Jesus followed, but instead of using a parable, he just began to talk to the people about somebody that they knew, somebody that they understood, someone who they had been reading up on their history. And who else except the father of the faith, Mr. Abraham? Because everybody knew who Abraham was, even the Judaizers, because they based their religion off of Father Abraham. How many of you remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. If you look at these scriptures right here, this is where that song kind of derives from. Father Abraham, because if you look back in the scriptures right there at verse number, uh, let me see, verse number 7, it says, Know then that in those of faith, those are the sons of Abraham. So here we are talking about Abraham. And Paul comes down and he says, All right, guys, y'all are in this big situation. Let's just consider Abraham. He shifts all the gears on them. Y'all want to go over here and you want to worry about all these works and all these rituals that you need to go through and all these things that you need to do to get saved? Let's just consider Abraham. Okay, let's talk about him. Boy, I tell you what, it's pretty good. He says he believed God. Look at verse number 6. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Why Abraham? Genesis 12 verse 1. The scripture says. The Lord said to Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred. And your father's house to a land that I'll show you. God called Abraham. Had a special call on his life. He said leave your country. Leave your community. And go to a place that I will show you. Do you think that it took faith for Abraham. To walk away from everything that he had. And to follow God. God didn't have a picture. Didn't have a road map. Didn't have anything. Didn't give him a deposit. Nothing. He just said, hey, just go and leave. Do you think it was easy for Abraham? No. Do you think Abraham had questions? I can't prove it in the Scripture, but I know that he was a human. I know that he was a human. Abraham was a man of great faith, but he was also a man of great faults. He had faults, and if you read his story, he lied. He was a man that that messed up quite often. And if you pay attention to the big characters of the Bible, they all mess up just like you. But they had a God that loved them and wanted to get them to a better place. So here, think about, think about this about Abraham, his faithfulness. Now I want you to think about faithful. Whenever you say the word faithful, now in our culture that we live in today, when you say faithful, who do you automatically think about? I think about my wife. Because I want her to be faithful. Any other husbands here wish your wife would be unfaithful? I've never had anybody say, you know, Brother Joe, I hope and pray that after I marry her that she would just, just be unfaithful. I've never met a woman who says that. We think about faithfulness when we talk about marriage. Did you know the entire relationship of the Bible between humans and God is all about marriage? That's what it's all about. He proved that to us whenever He created the first two. 
He created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, for those of you who are contrary on this open-minded business and a little bit of tolerance in the world today. I know it's not popular to say that, but I'm just here to tell you today that God made a man and He made a woman and He brought them together. And He brought them together to reproduce and to make, make, human, make other offspring just like a, a, a buck and a doe when you put them together. And so He made those so that there would be a blessing on earth, and He brought them together. He married them together. And that is the same concept all the way through the Scriptures, all the way to the end. The Bible begins with a marriage with Adam and Eve, and it ends with a marriage with Jesus Christ and His church. You follow me? It's bookended with marriage. So all the way through here, this is what God's given us. He's showing us faithfulness. What does faithful mean? No cheating. No squandering around. None of this stuff that makes me feel uh, inadequate with you or makes me feel insecure with my wife or any of those different things. And actually, when you look at the scripture, I mean, the, the, the uh, definition of the word faithful, it means loyal, consistent, steadfast, and reliable. This is what Abraham was to God. He was loyal and he was consistent. He was consistent. He was steadfast. God could rely upon him. And all through the Scriptures, Abraham's faithfulness is pointed out. And God is, is pleased with him. We don't read where Abraham cheated on God. It was his belief in God that gave him a righteous title. He was faithful and he had belief. Now, in accordance to our credits and our debits, for those of you who are, who are accounting majors, do you prefer a credit or a debit to your account? Some of y'all don't know. You're like, boy, I'm going to pay attention. I don't know if I need a credit or a debit. I'm not talking about credit cards. I'm talking about your account. Do you like credits or debits? I like credits. Now, Abraham here has an account. And the Bible says, and if you read it in another translation, if you go to the NIV translation, the Bible says that it was credited to Abraham righteousness. It was credited to him. It means that he was a righteous man. He was right. He was faithful. It was credited to his account. Do you want God to credit something like that to your account? I want him to credit to my account so that whenever I get up there, some of those credits that he gives me kind of covers up some of that debiting I've been doing. You understand what I mean? Because when we live our lives, we can do some things that can really subtract from our bank account spiritually. We can be idiots. We can be stupid. We can do dumb things. But God, to be the glory, He can credit to our account righteousness and faithfulness. If you will be sure, if you will be loyal, if you will be reliable, if you will do all these things that God is asking of you to do, and all that He's asking you to do is to be faithful to Him. Genesis 15, 6, talking about Abraham. And he believed the Lord, and it counted, he counted it to him as righteousness. Righteous means this, morally right, characterized by uprightness. Abraham's character and his actions were considered to be right. Now, I'm looking back at what Paul said back there in verse number 7. He said, hey, let's consider Abraham. I'm still considering Abraham, all right? Because he's got a bunch of religious teachers over here who are trying to tell him that it's going to take A, B, C, and D for you to become a Christian. 
And Paul is saying, no, it don't take all that. All it takes is faithfulness. And I'll prove it to you because let's consider the father of what you say is your faith. Let's look at the truth of what you stand for and what you believe. If God considered what Abraham, what he did to be right, why can't we simply follow the example of someone else that God said was right, live our life the way He lived it because it was right, and we can be credited to our account righteousness, and we can live in a state of rightness. If somebody has laid it out for you, why are you still trying to draw a map to figure out how it's done? Abraham already walked. He messed up. He'd done a lot of stuff that was wrong. But because he was faithful, he was faithful. He didn't cheat on God. Does it mean that he didn't sin? No, we know he did. The scriptures are full of Abraham's stuff. He messed up, but he did not live in willful sin against God. And when he did sin, he came to God and he asked him to forgive him. And that counted him as faithful. And when you are faithful to God, it will be credited to your account as rightness. God will look at you with all of your flaws, with all the black spots across your, across your canvas, and He will say, it's okay, my blood, the blood of my son Jesus washes that clean. And when you live your life from that point forward, be faithful to God. Be faithful to Him. Don't cheat on Him. Be faithful to Him. And He will count it to your, your account as righteousness. Was Abraham's performance what made him right with God? Was it Abraham's abilities that made him right with God? Was it Abraham's wealth or his works that made him right with God? No, none of that. The Scripture tells us that it was Abraham's faithfulness and believing who God said that he was. Do you believe that God is who He says He is? You see, Abraham didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. Had no idea about Him. All he could do was live by faithfulness. God said it, I believe in God, and therefore it is. That's simple. But, you know, we have come to a place to where we are smarter than God in our life today. We have all this intelligence. We have all these things. All these things that give us so much learning and understanding. And, boy, we are dumb people today. We rely so much on everything else that we don't need God anymore. And it is foolish when we try to replace the mainframe with all of our inventions. God's the one that made it all. He created it all. Abraham's life was a journey, guys. And if you read his story, he moved from place to place, following where God led him. He never saw the fulfillment of the promise that God told him about. He told him that nations would be blessed because of you. And if you go all the way through the Scriptures, it says that Abraham's descendant, Abraham's son, Isaac, when, he was, when Sarah was 90 years old, any ladies up for that? 90 years old, she gave birth. Abraham's, and I did the math on it, it Abraham's right around about probably 99 or so when the kid's born, at 115, teaching him how to throw a football in the backyard. That's a bad guy, right? 
So this is, nobody's up for that. But Abraham, because of his faithfulness, Isaac was born. Isaac gave birth to a child named Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed into Israel, which became the nation that we know today as Israel. Wherefore, Jesus Christ was born through the lineage of that tribe. And therefore, all the nations of the world are blessed. And the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abraham came true. Do you think Abraham knew what was riding on his decision? He had no idea. I'm here today to ask you this question before I get ready to close. Do you know what's riding on your decision to be faithful? I don't don't know. But I can kind of give you a little bit of an idea. Your children's faithfulness rides on your decision to be faithful. What happens to their memory or their understanding about who the Creator is rides on your decision to be faithful. The future of our country, the future of this world, rides on your decision. You may say, Brother Joy, that's just a bunch of nonsense. Really? Really? How many presidents are sitting in our church right now? How many teachers? What about a principal? What about a governor, a mayor? Anybody? I don't know. But I'll tell you this. Your faithfulness to the Almighty God is going to determine what happens there. I want you to think for a moment, if you can, in Jesus' day, as our musicians come, in Jesus' day, He had a following, man. He had a following. And actually, the Bible tells us that one of those crowds of followers that followed him that day numbered over 5,000 people. Over 5,000 people. Every day of their life, whenever they followed Jesus, they had to make a decision to follow Jesus or not. Every day. There's religions in this world that are going to tell you that you have to make a decision once to follow Jesus Christ. One time. You had to make a decision once. As long as I've been a Christian, I've had to make that decision every day of my life. You know why? Because hardships come at me every day. And I've got to choose to either follow Jesus or follow the ways of the world. You have to make that decision every day of your life. And and I'm taking it back to a physical standpoint. When Jesus was walking on this earth and the people followed Him, they saw things that they had never seen before. Miracles. Jesus walks up to a bunch of water, puts His finger in it, and says, keep the party going, y'all. Turns to wine. He didn't say that. I just like to think that he did. I think Jesus is probably cooler than we imagine him. He drives a Ford. That's why he walks. Lots of people following him. They see miracles. Can you imagine the message? The message that over there in Matthew 5, Whenever Jesus is on this mountaintop, they say Mount Sermon on the Mount, it's probably just a hill, and he's got a rock that he's sitting on, and he starts talking about things that bring life into those people. Oh, man, can you imagine? And in that moment when Jesus told those, those words, and he said, you know, if you steal, it's better for your hand to be cut off. Better for your hand to be cut off than for both of your hands to go to hell and burn. It's better for you to lose a leg, an eye, an arm. It don't matter. It's better for you to lose one. And those people, they sit there. And do you remember what some of them said? They said, I don't know if I can follow this guy. I'm not up for cutting my arm off. 
And then he went on to say, he said, if you will eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have everlasting life. And then there were some of them that said, this message is too hard for us to take. We won't follow him anymore. And he turned around and looked at his 12. He said, what? Are you going to go too? They had to make a decision. And if you think that your life is not going to be full of decisions when you choose Christ, you are sadly mistaken. It is a decision every day of your life. Every day. The crowds gathered. The crowds grew. The crowds built more and more and more. And one day they followed Jesus down this road that led them to a hill. And they saw a sight that they had never seen before. The one that claimed to be Messiah. The one that claimed to be the Son of God. Hung on a cross much like what you see behind him. He hung on a cross. And instantly, they thought it was just going to be another day. Just like every other day. Another trip. Another message. Another miracle. They thought maybe some water. Maybe a little food would come out of just two fish and five loaves of bread. They thought maybe just something Something big would happen, but it was bigger than they ever imagined. All of a sudden, the story that looked like this turned right before their eyes. A man that they loved hung on a cross. Could he be a phony? Has he been lying to us? Have we wasted the years of our life following this guy and now he's dead? What is going on? And instantly in that moment, they had to make a decision. Just like you have to make a decision right now. Will I remain faithful to Jesus Christ and let it be counted to my account as righteousness? Will you choose to live in a state of rightness or will you just be wrong? You can't be both. You can't be both. But friends, I'm here to tell you today that every time that you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, you have to make a decision to serve Him or to serve yourself. What's your choice going to be? I want to live in a state of rightness. And while I strive to live in a state of rightness, there's so many times I find myself wrong. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He gives you victory and not defeat. Friend, today you can live in a state of rightness and not wrongness if you would just choose Jesus and be faithful to Him. And when you fall flat of your face, the grace of God is blanketed out for you to show you the right way, for you to ask for forgiveness, get back on the straight and narrow, and keep walking. The person who falls out with God is the person who refuses to accept the, 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 the correction. And when you refuse to accept the correction, you continue to walk away from God. That's the person who falls out with God. What is it with you? Where will you be today? In a state of rightness or a state of wrongness? It's your choice. A decision that you have to make. Father, we love you. We do thank you for giving us a time to be here. And to be able to open the Word of God and to study and to accept and receive what you have for us today. And I'm asking you, Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit and the dealing that only you can do with our hearts, Father, that if there's someone here today who is in that state of wrongness, 
they will repent, turn to you, turn from their wicked ways, and follow after you. There's no decision greater than Jesus Christ. Help them to choose what's right. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand, church. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, He kindly will. Tell Jesus and he will 
Jesus.